when we have been talking on Sunday mornings about Isaiah 53, the Old Testament can be somewhat unfamiliar territory to a lot of Christians, believe it or not. Uh, and be honest with you, even for Jewish people, it's kind of a it's kind of a new territory when you actually get into it. We know some, you know, general stories. We've heard about Adam and Eve. We know about Abraham, David and Goliath, Daniel. We know general stories, but one thing that I think is encour- that we need to be encouraged to is to understand the Bible as a story, as a complete story. Uh, a lot of times when we think of the Old Testament, what do, we, what do a lot of people, even Christians, what do a lot of Christians think of? They think it's a lot of laws, judgments, lists of families, family, genealogies. We think of all these and throw in a few Psalms or Proverbs just for fun. That's usually how a lot of people, a lot of Christians, approach the New Test, or excuse me, the Old Testament. And so that's why I think a lot of times the New Testament is sometimes maybe it's just more familiar territory. We preach on it more often. By the way, nothing wrong with that. But let me just say this: that as we look at that, let's turn to one passage of scripture just very quickly to kind of set the stage for this. Uh, turn with me to the book of Second uh, Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter three. It's a very familiar passage. But I want to kind of start out this evening by talking about the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you'll see why in just a moment. Look with me, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And look with me in verse 16. This is a, hopefully a familiar passage to us. And it says here, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. So this... this uh, uh, verse here, verse 16, very important. Understanding uh, what Scripture is, is given by inspiration of God, or God breathed, and it's profitable for every aspect of life. But uh, here's the big question. When we think of the Bible, in the Old Testament, we have a, a lot of different descriptions of what the Bible is, okay? Uh, the book of uh, Psalms, for example, Psalm 119, talks about his precepts, his statutes, his commandments, his laws. There's a lot of different words that are used to describe the Word of God. In the New Testament, though, it's pretty much singled down to one word, and it's found here in verse 16, Scripture. Scripture, that's referring to the Bible. Now, what does Scripture mean? Scripture simply means script, means something written, okay? And in this case, when we talk about Scripture, we're talking about God's inspired word, His infallible word, okay? So, but here's the question I want to uh, bring to you. When Paul is writing this to Timothy, we believe that Paul is writing this towards the end of his life. Uh, a little bit later on, he says, uh, I fought a good fight, I finished the course uh, in the next chapter. So we believe this is probably towards the end of Paul's life. However, when Paul is writing this to Timothy, and he's writing this, um, that even verse 15, and from a child has known the holy, here's that word again, scriptures that are able to make thee wise to salvation. Okay, the word scriptures there, what is Paul specifically referring to? okay. It's not the complete Bible that we have in our hand today because, for example, Revelation hasn't been written yet, okay? Uh, maybe some other books around or there hasn't been a gathering of books. So is specifically, is Paul writing to Timothy about what scriptures has he known since a child's age? The Old Testament. That's the context. He's, now, now, all scripture, that does include everything to Revelation. I want, don't misunderstand that. But specifically in this context, it's referring to even the Old Testament. In other words, that Timothy had been trained, even as Paul had, in the Scriptures, meaning that which was written, which is the Old Testament. How was the Old Testament 
compiled during those times. Going back centuries before, people, scribes, wrote on scrolls. Okay, wrote on different scrolls, on parchment. And that's how scrolls were collected. Different books or different passages of the Bible were written on scrolls. So you didn't have one complete book per se. You actually had several scrolls that were together. And through the years, those were combined into the Bible we have today. That's just kind of just bare nuts right there. But I want you to understand this. As we look at the scriptures today, and we're going to look at the story of the Old Testament why is this important? Why should we know the Old Testament? I like what D.L. Moody said this. The Bible was not written for our information, but for our transformation. In other words, when you read the Bible, it should change your life. We just saw a testimony a few moments ago of a lady who, when she encountered the scriptures, her Old Testament scriptures, and the God opened her eyes through that, her life was, just didn't get more information, she was transformed. Amazing when you see that. So I definitely agree with, with uh, Moody on that. So now I want us to get into a little bit here of the Old Testament and the story of the Old Testament. So let's begin. So in the Hebrew Bible, and I'm going to refer to that often today, but when I say the Hebrew Bible, I'm referring to what we commonly call the Old Testament. Okay? In our Bible, we have listed from Genesis through Malachi in the Old Testament. How many, here's a Sunday school question, how many books are in the Old Testament? 39. How many books are in the New Testament? 27. And combined, you have how many books? 66 books. Okay, that's just basic uh, structure. However, what's interesting is this, that the, the order that we have in our Bible here, what's commonly called the canon, the, the gathering and the collection of Scripture, when we think about that, how much of the, um, uh, of the Old Testament is interesting. Was the old, is the Old Testament as we have it today, is that written chronologically in order? No, it's not. You got Genesis and all of a sudden you got like, for example, Nehemiah, which is after that captivity, they're coming back. And then you go into Psalms and the pro- you kind of go all over the place in, in a way. Okay, so the Hebrew Bible, if you talk to a Jewish person today, the, the Hebrew Bible that they have, which is called the Tanakh, it's still the Old Testament here, but it's actually arranged differently. And we're going to get to see this, that the, the way that we have it in our Bible today, and it's not anyone's fault per se, but this was arranged a couple centuries after the early church, probably the fourth century, something like that. Uh, before then, we have writings from the Dead Sea Scrolls, other historical writings, um, and even from the words of Jesus himself, that the, at the Old Testament, as we know, was actually arranged in a different way. Now, the Bible, I want to say this, the Bible we have today is not wrong. It's, it's, it's still the Word of God, okay? It's just arranged differently. Uh, I have here, actually, I have two copies. If you like, as, because this is going to be pertinent here, I have here uh, the Old Testament in Hebrew and in English, and you're going to see a little bit of how it's arranged. So if you want to take that and then take a quick look at it, and you can pass it around, okay? But you're going to see this here in just a second. All right, so the Tanakh is what is referred to as the Hebrew Bible, okay, the Old Testament. And it's called that in Hebrew because it's actually an abbreviation, T-N-K, if you will. So the Tanakh, the T stands for Torah. Torah is the books of the law, the books of Moses. It's also called the Pentateuch, okay? Uh, And then the second part, the N of Tanakh, is Nevi'im. Nevi'im means prophets. When you think of prophets, you're thinking like, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Malachi, you're thinking of those types of people, okay? And then you have 
the K, which is the Ketuvim. Ketuvim means the writings, okay? It means the writings. This refers to like the Psalms, uh, the different scrolls like Esther, for example, that would be included in that. Okay, so this is how it's arranged in that. So the Torah, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And you're going to see at the very end, this is going to be like an aha moment at the end, okay? What this is doing, what we're doing today, hang on. Some, this, I know this is a little bit new for some of us, but this is why I want you to hang on because what we're going to find out through this is there is a grand story that's being told in the Old Testament that I don't think you're going to see, read the Old Testament the same way after we study through this, okay? So if you noticed in your Bible, if you look through that, those who are passing that around, if you notice it starts in Genesis, but then... Where does it end, if you look that far? It's in Chronicles, okay? Let's break this down a little bit. The Torah, this composed, I think we're on familiar territory here. The Torah, the books of Moses are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the five books of Moses. The Torah, the, the law, Torah literally means instructions, okay? But that's the idea. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I think that's familiar territory. Now, the next section of the Hebrew Bible is called the Nevi'im. Nevi'im, which is the prophets. Okay? And this is kind of the structure. You, it's divided up into two parts. You have what's called the former prophets, such as, believe it or not, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. We don't think of it in those terms as prophets, but it's referred to as the former prophets. The other section in it is called the latter prophets, and that's referring to Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Those are called the major prophets. And then you have the 12, or the 12 minor prophets, and that's Hosea all the way to Malachi. There's 12 minor prophets that's there. So that's very, very important, okay? So anyway, so that's the prophets. That's the next section in the Hebrew Bible. The next section after that, in the K, the Ketuvim, is the writings. It's the writings, okay? And so the, the writings itself, that's the, the, basically scriptures, that is composed of three different areas. Poetry, um, the scrolls, or the Megillah, or the scrolls, and then historical books. So you have, for example, uh, in poetry, you have Psalms, Proverbs, and Job. I think we understand that. Those are books of poetry, Okay. And then we have the scrolls. Those are five scrolls, such as the Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations, Esther, and Ecclesiastes. Now, if you were here at our Purim party a couple weeks ago, we had that big scroll that was rolled out of the scroll of Esther. That was something else. I, I just enjoyed I just enjoy things like that. But that's one of those scrolls, is the scroll of Esther. Okay? And then the next order you have our historical books. Daniel. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles. And so the Hebrew Bible begins in Genesis and finishes in Chronicles. And you're probably thinking, what in the world? This is, so, this is very different from what we're used to. Don't, like I said, it's the same scripture, it's just arranged differently. Same scripture, okay? So this is very important. Now, one little caveat, you're probably wondering, why is Daniel listed as a historical book and not a prophetic book? It's because traditional... Uh, Judaism does not regard Daniel as a prophet. Now, it doesn't mean he didn't do some prophesying, but they believe, this is kind of technical here, but they believe that the writings that he did had to do more about his, his own time, more so than future time. That's just their perspective of it. And because of that, he is still regarded very favorably, but he's just in a different area of the Bible. 
So don't overthink it. Daniel is still there. He's not missing. Okay. So these are the, the five, or excuse me, the three different areas. The Torah. So the, I mean, the Tanakh. So Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim. So Torah, the law, the writings, uh, the prophets, and the writings. So this is very important as we see this here. Okay, so now this is where we get into your notes. This, I think this will make a little bit more sense as we go on. So the story of the Old Testament, it's like a, think of like a movie, if you will, or like a, a, a tapestry, and that in that movie, there are certain scenes, certain scenes, or a good book. You have certain scenes or certain chapters that are like a scene that blends into the next. They kind of set you up for the next part of the movie or the next part of the book. And that's exactly what we have in the Old Testament. It's beautiful the way this is done. So let's talk about the overall picture of the Torah, the overall picture of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. What is the overall picture of this book? So we start with the foundation. What is the foundation of the Torah? foundation of the Torah is found in Genesis chapters 1 through 11. That's the foundation, I would argue, of the entire Bible. Okay? But specifically of those books of Moses, Moses, when he writes this through an inspiration of spirit, he's writing this as the foundation. Why? What do we have in those chapters of Genesis 1 through 11? What's, what's so important about that foundation? What do we have? We have creation. We have the, the flood. Before the flood, we have the fall. Okay? Uh, we have the Tower of Babel. Okay, so very, those things are very important. Now, here's why this is important. Creation, how God, I believe in the six literal days of creation, that God spoke the world and everything created into existence, okay? And we also believe that because of Adam, Adam was created perfectly, but Adam and Eve, they both sinned. They fell, and because of Adam's fall, we sinned all. So here's the point of this, why I'm bringing this up. Why is Genesis 1 through 11 foundational? Because let me challenge you with this thought. If, uh, if you had to explain the gospel without Genesis 1 through 11 being there, would it make sense? No. You talk to someone, hey, you're a sinner. You need to be saved from your sins. Well, what is sin? You have to have a foundation. It's because of Adam's sin. Go to the book of Romans. Because of Adam's sin, death passed upon all men and all are sinners. So Genesis 1 through 11 is extremely critical as a foundation, okay? The next thing, what's the main characters of the Torah? There's probably several we can name here, but there's our three major ones. First of all is Adam himself. Adam was the perfect man, okay? And he had the perfect wife, at least for a few days, right? We don't know, okay? But nonetheless, Adam, and he fell. And then you have next, the next main character that you have, you can throw in Noah, but the next main character you have is in Genesis 12, and that is Abraham, Abraham, God blesses Abraham. He gives a covenant to him and to his people, un- unconditional covenant. And then the third character, major character would be Moses. Moses, who basically is the deliverer. He is, I mean, just an amazing man that God uh, has to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said that one day there will become a prophet like unto Moses. Okay, very important. So, but now let's look at the themes. The major themes of the Torah is found this way. It's found in the fall, which we just talked about the covenants or the blessings like was given to Abraham. And then we get to the book of Exodus, for example, and it's the law, the law, the Torah, the law that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. Now, here's the thing that we need to look at. 
With that in mind, then what is the purpose of the Torah? Those first five books, what's the purpose of it? And the purpose of it is found in, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, when it says here, actually, let's turn there. We'll try to do this uh, here quickly here. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Okay. Deuteronomy 18, 18 says, I will raise up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, like unto Moses, and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all I command him. And basically the people are supposed to listen. So there's going to be a prophet that God will raise like unto Moses. So what this is, there's an anticipation of a redeemer. There's an anticipation of someone greater than Moses that will give the law or keep the law is the idea. Now go with me to the very end of Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy 34. And you're going to see something really amazing here now. In, in Deuteronomy 34, Moses dies and God buries them. And then now what we see is that at the very end of Deuteronomy, we find a seam a scene that's going to connect us to the next part of the Torah, or next part of the Hebrew Bible. And what we have here is in verse, uh, chapter 34, verse 9, it talks about Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of spirit, for Moses had laid his hands upon him. Okay, and then in verse 10, and Moses is not writing this. Someone else is writing this, unless Moses wrote this before he died about himself, but then that'd be, I don't know how it was done, but a lot of people presume that there was someone else who wrote this, these little verses to kind of close up the Torah. But this is an important message in verse 10. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. In other words, there's an anticipation. God's going to raise a prophet like unto Moses. And guess what? You get to the end of that story. You get to the end of that book of the Torah. And you know what? That prophet hasn't come yet. Now we enter in Joshua. Now we come here to the Nebuchadnezzar. Now we come here. And so here's the next part of the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh. So we talked about the Torah, now the end, the Nevi'im, and that's the prophets. So where is that linked to? It comes here to Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Go over one page. It says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun. Okay, Moses' minister. Joshua, his name is very important. What does his name mean? What does Joshua's name mean? Does anyone know? Salvation. Joshua is the Hebrew equivalent to Jesus. He is that salvation. Yeshua, Yahashua, means salvation. So this is very important. So Joshua here is that. By the way, we learn a lot about Joshua, that he is now the servant. In verse 8, we see something very important about Joshua. We see him in this verse 8, the book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, thou shalt meditate therein day and night. What's he referring to here? The book of the law is referring to the Torah. The law that God gave to Moses at Sinai. He's meditating on that. This is a part of his life. He's soaking this in. And so guess what? There's great hope that maybe Joshua will be that prophet like unto Moses. There's an anticipation for that. But you know what we know about this? We find it here that in Israel's history, that Joshua eventually failed. And then you look at the book of Judges, and the children of Israel just went down and down and down. They had kings, they had priests, and they had prophets. And guess what? The cycle of Israel during those next books just went down and down and down. Prophets railed against them, calling for God's judgment. Very important as we see that. So the major characters that we have here 
is the prophets, priests, and kings. That's what we find here in the Nevi'im, that area. The major theme of this is success, success and the failure of Israel. There were some bright spots like Solomon, uh, David, for example. But even them, they failed as well. So here's a great anticipation here. The great anticipation that we have is found in the book of Malachi. So this section here, this is what really throws us off a little bit. So from Joshua to Malachi, this is in the Hebrew Bible now. What does the very end of Malachi say? Okay, you can turn with me there. Because this is the end. These are like seams that bring the story together. So Joshua, he's that deliverer. Everyone's excited. There's an anticipation. Yes, there's a prophet like unto Moses. When's he going to come? And guess what? It just gets bad and worse and worse and worse. It gets to a point, finally, Malachi, the very end of the section, Malachi chapter 4, in verses uh, 4 and 5, says this. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded them unto him in Horeb, for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. That's referring back to the Torah. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So here's the point. There is an anticipation for Moses and Elijah because what? When they come on the scene, who is coming? The Messiah. You understand that? Malachi is prophesying that when Moses and Elijah come back on the scene, that's the announcement of the Messiah. There's a great anticipation here. So there's a big, big story that's taking place. Okay? So very important. So we got the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The next link here is the prophets from Joshua to Malachi. Okay? You're looking for that prophet, that prophet like unto Moses. He didn't come. We failed, but we're still looking for that. Now we come to the third section of the, of the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, and that is the Ketuvim, the writings, and that begins with the book of Psalms. How does the book of Psalms begin? Psalm chapter 1. You know what? Maybe you've even memorized it. I hope you have. It's a great passage to memorize. It talks about the blessed man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth with the sinners, nor sitteth in the sea of the scornful. It's talking about here a righteous man. And look in, in Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, what does it talk about this righteous man? His delight is in the law of the Lord. Just like Joshua meditated on the law of the Lord, even so the righteous man is going to meditate on the law of the Lord. Very beautiful how this is working out. So again, this is the foundation. This is that seam that's weaving the story all together. Okay? The main characters in this area here are the righteous men. You think of the book of Proverbs, for example. A righteous man is a wise man who fears the Lord. You want to get a great example of a righteous man? You look to Job. Have you considered my servant Job? I mean, here's a great picture here of the writings. So we're talking about a righteous man. Look at the uh, scrolls, for example. The book of Esther. Talk about Esther and Mordecai who were righteous. We could go on and on. Boaz and Ruth, the whole story. They are, they are themes of the righteous man. Those are the main characters in this section. The major themes here talks about living wisely, a new hope and a new future. And here's where we get to. This is very, very important. I think this is going to knock your socks off, okay? All right? It's in the Greek, all right, or Hebrew, all right? So come with me to the book of 2 Chronicles. Now, here we get to the end of the Tanakh, the end of the Hebrew Bible. This is very important. So this is how the Hebrew Bible ends. Remember, they were anticipating a prophet like unto Moses. They thought it could be Joshua. 
Guess what? It wasn't. Children of Israel just kept going down and down. But guess what? There's hope again. Now we're introduced to the righteous man who will not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners. You know, sin and sin is scornful. He's going to be meditating the law of the Lord. We're talking about the righteous man. And guess what? Is there hope? Will there someone who will fulfill this role of the righteous servant? Will someone fulfill the role of the prophet like unto Moses, who God will send to help deliver his people? And we find the answer, at least an intriguing question, if nothing else, here, at the very end of 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 23, the very last verse. And this is how it concludes. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me and have charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Before we read the rest of that, what are we talking about here? Remember in Israel's history that they went into exile from Babylon and then Persia is taking over. Cyrus has a decree. You can go back now and rebuild the temple. You can go back and rebuild, okay? And so Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, those group of people are there building the tabernacle. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, those people are a part of that story that's taking place right now. And so they're starting to build it. Cyrus has issued a decree, and then 2 Chronicles, leave, and the end of the Hebrew Bible, leaves us this with penetrating question. In verse, the end of verse 23. Who is there among you of all his people? Let the Lord his God be with him, and let him go up. So it's a question. Who is going to go up? To Jerusalem. Who is going to go up to the restored kingdom? Who is going to have this hope? This is an anticipation. This is a messianic prophecy, folks. It's an anticipation that the Messiah is going to come and rebuild the temple, rebuild Jerusalem. When will that happen? And this is why now we go to the very first book of the New Testament. And you're going to see very carefully how, before we do that, look it back again. Matthew chapter 1, but back in 2 Chronicles. Again, it says here, the, who is going to go up? Okay, let me get back there. All right, who is going to go up among his people? And it says, the Lord his God be with him. I want you to underline it, highlight it, write about it. I don't care what you do with it. But here's the point. The Lord his God be with him. Now watch with me in book of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And how we have the genealogy leading up to Jesus Christ. And how is now Jesus presented in the book of Matthew? Matthew chapter 1 in verse 23. How is he described? He, Matthew mentions a prophecy. Okay? It says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They should call his name what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. In other words, this is how the Hebrew Bible ends. Let the Lord is God be with him. And guess what? Here is God with us. It's been fulfilled. It's been answered right here. It's pointing to none other than this. What is the purpose of the Old Testament? What's the story of the Old Testament? The focus of the Old Testament is on Jesus the Messiah. God with us. Beautiful. Beautiful. The prophet like unto Moses has arrived. One greater than Joshua has arrived. One who, sat, who will sit on the throne of David has arrived. Who will go up? The Lord is God be with him. Who is this righteous man who meditates in the law day and night? It's found in Jesus, the Messiah. 
This is important, folks, very important. So where does this all bring us here today? As we go in this, this is kind of where we sum this all up now. Look with me in the book of Luke, chapter 24. Like I said, what we have just encountered tonight, for a lot of us, is probably a new thing. We're not used to the Bible reading it in that way. And that's okay. But I want us to understand this, that Jesus, what was the Bible that Jesus read? Ever thought of that? What's the Bible that Jesus read? He read the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, that are able to make you, what, wise into salvation. Look with me, Luke chapter 24, and look with me in verse 44. It says here, And he said, Jesus said unto them unto his disciples, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were, now pay careful attention, which were written, the Scriptures, in the Law of Moses, that's the Torah, in the prophets, that's the Nevi'im, the, the, the prophets. And in the Psalms, that's the Ketuvim. Jesus gave here the exact order of the Old Testament as the, Hebrew pe- as the Jewish people know it. It's ex- that's exactly how it was in Jesus' time. Jesus has given the exact order of how it's revealed. And now, like I said, we see what is this all about? It's all about pointing us to Jesus as the Messiah. We can't escape that, folks. And like I said, the Bible, the Old Testament is not a story or of a book of rules and do's and don'ts and judgment and all that. It's one grand story of a coming Messiah. And that everyone, when the Messiah comes, you listen to him. And you follow him. And you trust in him. And he will bring it to pass. Amazing. So as we conclude this here, the old, the new is the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. As we see about this, it's amazing to see what the Lord has done. So again, the, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, is so important. I pray that this will kind of give an, an idea of how the Old Testament was constructed in that regard.